This begins CD 8. Awakening Media presents The Life of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The Medinan Period Volume 1 By Imam Anwar Al-Awliki A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillah Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Tisliman kathira Amma ba'd Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh We talked about Consequences of the Battle of Badr, and we said that now we have a serious problem of hypocrisy. There was also another group in Medina which posed threat to the newly formed Islamic State and the new Muslim community, which is headed by the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that group is the Jewish tribes, the Jews. Now we'll be talking about. Uh, them in this uh, session, probably for the entire session. So I want to state in the outstart that when we are talking about the history of the Muslim and Jewish relations, and when we talk about the ayat of Quran and the ahadith of Rasulullah that talk about the Jews, we are not being anti-Semitic. In fact, a good portion of the Muslim Ummah are Semitic people to start with, the Arabs. And we are not racists. And we do not claim the ethnic superiority of any particular ethnic group. These are things that Muslims don't do or shouldn't do. However, we speak about historical truths and if these historical truths do not abide by the modern rules of political correctness that's not an issue with us Muslims we Muslims are not going to subject Quran and Sunnah to rules of political correctness but we will subject political correctness to the rules of Quran and Sunnah So what we are stating here are actual events that happened and the consequences of these events. And these events occurred after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has made an agreement and we talked about that agreement, al-wathiqah, the covenant which was to govern the relationship of the Muslims and the Jews and the non-Muslim Arabs who were in Medina. So in the beginning, Rasulullah was dealing with the Yahud as citizens of Medina, citizens of the Islamic State. This is how he approached them. He didn't approach them with any hidden agenda. He didn't approach the relationship with them with prejudgment and hatred. Rasulullah started his relationship with them as people of the book who are supposed to be closer to the Muslims than the polytheists. However, it was the Jews who started plotting against the Islamic State. It was them who were breaking their agreement with Rasulullah and it was them who stood against Rasulullah by word and deed. So, what was their response to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and the Muslims? There are ayat in Qur'an that were revealed talking specifically about the Yahud. They were upset from the outstart of the arrival of Rasulullah sallallahu to Medina. And we can sense that from the conversation that occurred with two of the leaders of Al-Yahud in Medina, Huyayy ibn Akhtab and his brother Abu Yasir. Safiya radiallahu anha, the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she says, none of the children of my father or my uncle were more popular with them both than I was. 
She's referring to her popularity with her father and her uncle, Abu Yasser. She said, None of the children of my father or my uncle were more popular with them both than I was. Whatever child of theirs wanted their attention, it was always me they put first. When the Messenger of Allah came to Quba, the village of the Banu Amr bin Auf, my father and my uncle Abu Yasser went to him early in the morning and only returned at sunset. So tired out, they could scarcely walk, staggering from exhaustion. So here we're dealing with an event that occurred on the first day of the arrival of Rasulullah to Medina. He's still in the outskirts of Medina. He's in Quba. Safiya says they came back that day tired and worn out. She said, I raced over to greet them as was my custom, but I swear neither so much as, as looked at me I heard my uncle Abu Yasser ask my father, is that he then? So she, first of all, she's saying that they uh, neglected me. Obviously, they were preoccupied with something else. None of them picked her up. And then she started hearing their conversation. Abu Yasser is asking Huyay and said, is that he then? He's talking about Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's asking, is he the prophet? Is he the one mentioned in our books? Is he the one prophesied by our rabbis? So is that he then? Huyay said, yes, I swear by Allah. Abu Yasser said, you recognize him from his character and description then? Huyay said, I certainly do, in the name of Allah. Abu Yasser goes, so how will you relate to him? If he's a prophet, what does that mean? How will you respond to him? Look at what Huyay ibn Akhtab said. He said, by Allah... I will be his enemy for as long as I live. Subhanallah al-Azim. So first you recognize that he is the Prophet of Allah. And you know for sure that he's the Prophet of Allah. Rather than saying that I'm going to follow him, you say you will be his enemy for the rest of your life. Why? Well, the reason is clear. It is because of envy and jealous. Envy and Huyay is jealous that... Uh, the Prophet ended up being an Arab rather than a Jew. And this envy caused him to disbelief in Rasulullah And here we're dealing with the worst type of kufr, and that is disbelieving in the truth when you know that it's the truth. See, some people, they disbelieve because they don't think that this is the truth. They think that the Prophet is a liar. They think that this is a fake religion. They think that this was made up. But then you have some people who know, certainly know, that it's the truth. Nevertheless, they still reject it. And this was the case with Huyay ibn Akhtab. They would attempt to disunite the Muslim. Ibn Ishaq said, وَمَرَّ شَاسْ بِنْ قَيْسُ وَكَانَ شَيْخًا قَدْ عَسَى عَظِيمُ الْكُفْرِ شَدِيدُ الضَّغْنِ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ شَدِيدُ الْحَسَدِ لَهُمْ An old Jewish man. His name is Shas bin Qais. And this man was, as Ibn Ishaq says, Azimul Kufr, deep in Kufr. Shadidu Dagni al Muslimin. And he has so much hatred of the Muslims. He saw that Al Aus and Al Khazraj are united. He saw that they're now sitting together in the same gathering. And these were people who were at each other's throats before Islam. These were people who were enemies of each other. Now, because of Islam, they were united. They were one. So this Jewish man wasn't very happy. And he said, قَدْ اجْتَمَعَ مَلَأُ بَنِي قَيْلَهِ بِهَذِهِ الْبِلَادِ لَا وَاللَّهِ مَا لَنَا مَعَهُمْ إِذَا اجْتَمَعَ مَلَأُهُمْ بِهَا مِنْ قَرَارِ He said, the Aus and Khazraj are united in this land. And in the name of Allah, we have no place here as long as they are united. Our survival as Jews in Medina is based on the disunity of the Arabs. And as long as they are united, we are at risk. So he tells a young Jewish man who was sitting with Al-Aus al-Khazraj in the same gathering to start reminding them about their days of war. 
bring up the day of Ba'ath, bring up the battle of so-and-so, bring up the battle of so-and-so, narrate some of that poetry, and instigate a fight among them. So this young man sits between them, and he starts bringing up some lines of poetry that talk about the uh, heroic acts of one tribe against the other, and slowly he was able to cause a shouting match between the two parties, and after that, they stood up and challenged each other to combat. And they agreed that we will meet in Al-Harrah, Fadlahira. We will meet in such and such place. Let's go and arm ourselves. So war was about to start all over again. See how words can cause so much evil. A war could start because of one word. And that's why Allah just says, وَقُلْ لِعِبَادِي يَقُولُ الَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنُ إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَنْزَغُ بَيْنَهُمْ إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ كَانَ لِلْإِنسَانِ عَدُوًا مُبِينًا Tell my servant to say good words because shaitan is there to disunite them. So a Muslim should be very careful about what they say. The news was delivered to Rasulullah and Rasulullah rushed forward while they were making an appointment on where to meet to start the war all over again. And Rasulullah said, O Muslims, fear Allah. Are you to resume the enmity of ignorance when I am still among you? Are you going to bring back jahiliya while I'm still alive and living among you? After Allah has guided you to believe in Islam and submit to Him, do you forget Allah's blessing as He has saved you from ignorance and disbelief and planted love and friendliness in your hearts instead of hostility? Rasulullah is reminding them that this unity was a favor from Allah. Don't throw it behind your backs. Allah has brought you together. Allah has sent you His Messenger. Allah has made you love each other. The love that now exists among the Sahaba is unsurpassed. How can you throw that behind your back and go back to the time of Jahiliyyah? You know how bad uh, Jahiliyyah was. Now since you have tasted the Iman, you will know how evil and bad kufr was. You know, Rasulullah says that you will only taste the sweetness of faith if three things happen. One of them, Rasulullah said, that you would hate to go back to kufr like you would hate to be thrown in, in the fire. So a person who tastes iman and knows how beautiful iman is, knows how bad and depressing kufr is. And subhanAllah, these words of Rasulullah had so much effect on them, they started hugging each other. These men who were just thinking about going to war are now hugging each other and asking each other for forgiveness. Allah Azza wa Jal says, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ لِمَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ شَهِيدٌ عَلَى مَا تَعْمَلُونَ قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ لِمَ تَصُدُّونَ عَن سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ لِمَ تَصُدُّونَ عَن سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ تَبْغُونَهَا عِوَجًا وَأَنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءُ وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ Say, O people of the scripture, why do you disbelieve in the verses of Allah while Allah is witness over what you do? Say, O people of the scripture, why do you avert from the way of Allah those who believe, seeking to make it seem deviant while you are witnesses to the truth? And Allah is not unaware of what you do. And Allah Azza wa says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu in tuti'u fariqan minalladheena utul kitab. إن تطيعوا فريقا من الذين أوتوا الكتاب يردوكم بعد إيمانكم كافرين. O you who have believed, if you obey a party of those who were given the scripture, they would turn you back after your belief to being unbelievers. So Allah Azza wa says there is only one result of 
following the people of the book. And that is, it will make you revert back to disbelief. So this is a warning to the Muslims from following Ahl al-Kitab, the people of the book. And then Allah says, وَكَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ وَأَنْتُمْ تُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ آيَاتُ اللَّهِ وَفِيكُمْ رَسُولُهُ وَمَنْ يَعْتَصِمْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ هُدِيَ إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ So following the people of the book is a one-way road that ends in disbelief. And then Allah says, وَكَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ وَأَنْتُمْ تُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ آيَاتُ اللَّهِ وَفِيكُمْ رَسُولُهُ وَمَنْ يَعْتَصِمْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ هُدِيَ إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ O oh, you who have believed, fear Allah as he should be feared, and do not die except as Muslims, and hold firmly to the rope of Allah altogether, and do not become divided. See, because Shaz bin Qais wanted to cause division among them, Allah is warning them. And remember the favor of Allah upon you. When you were enemies and he brought your hearts together and you became by his favor brothers. And you were on the edge of a pot of the fire and he saved you from it. Thus does Allah make clear to you his verses that you may be guided. And let there be arising from you a nation inviting to all that is good, enjoining what is right and forbidding what is wrong. And these will be the successful. And do not be like the ones who became divided and deferred after the clear proofs had come to them, and those will have a great punishment. These are some of the verses uh, revealed talking about Al-Yahud. And Allah Azza says in another ayah that is referring to another problem that the Yahud suffered from, another, another disease, and that was blasphemy. They would speak ill about Rasulullah they would speak ill about the Muslims, they would speak ill about Islam, they would speak ill about Allah Azawajal. Allah Azawajal says, and this ayah was revealed after a conversation happened between Abu Bakr and Fanhas. Fanhas was one of the Jewish rabbis in Medina, and Abu Bakr Siddiq was giving him da'wah. So Fanhas responded by saying, your God is poor, and we are rich. How can he ask you to give Charity. If your God is rich, he wouldn't be asking you to give him money. That proves that he is in need. And we are rich. And he needs us. So Abu Bakr al-Siddiq was quite upset with those words, you know, even though he's giving him da'wah before, but he started punching him in the face. So Fanhas rushes back to Rasulullah complaining. He said, this is what Abu Bakr did to me. So Rasulullah told Abu Bakr, why did you hit him? Abu Bakr said, because he said this and that. Fanhas denied that he said those words. So Allah Azawajal reveals the ayah saying, لَقَدْ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ قَوْلَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ فَقِيرٌ وَنَحْنُ أَغْنِيَاءٌ سَنَكْتُبُ مَا قَالُوا وَقَتْلَهُمُ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ بِغَيْرِ حَقٍ وَنَقُولُ ذُوقُوا عَذَابَ الْحَرِيقَ Allah has certainly heard the statement of those Jews who said, Indeed Allah is poor while we are rich. We will record what they said and their killing of the prophets without right and will say, Taste the punishment of the burning fire. That is for what your hands have put forth and Allah is not ever unjust to his servants. And they would speak ill about the Muslims, so Allah Azza said, وَإِن تَصْبِرُوا وَتَتَّقُوا فَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ You will surely be tested in your possessions and in yourselves, and you will surely hear from those who were given the scripture before you, and from those who associate others with Allah much abuse. Allah Azza is telling the Muslims this is expected. They will make negative statements about you. 
Their newspapers will write blasphemous things about you. Their media will, will accuse you of things that are not true. This is only to be expected. And then Allah says, but if you are patient and fear Allah, indeed that is of the matters worthy of determination. Their propaganda will not affect Islam or the Muslims as long as the Muslims are patient and have taqwa. Because the truth remains and lies vanish. And they were disrespectful of Rasulullah They came to him once and they were saying, Assamu alayka ya Rasulullah. Now this sounds very close to Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. So they would take out the lamb, the L. Instead of salam, they would say sam. And assamu alayka Rasulullah could mean, uh, may death befall you. May death befall you. So Aisha was very upset and she said, Assamu alaykum you sons of monkeys and pigs and she was cursing them. So Rasulullah said, don't say that, O Aisha, because Allah doesn't like foul language. And then Allah revealed the ayah, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ نُهُوا عَنِ النَّجْوَى ثُمَّ يَعُودُونَ لِمَا نُهُوا عَنِهِ وَيَتَنَاجَوْنَ بِالْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ وَمَعْصِيَةِ الرَّسُولِ وَإِذَا جَاءُوكَ حَيَّوْكَ بِمَا لَمْ يُحَيِّكَ بِهِ اللَّهِ وَيَقُولُونَ فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ لَوْلَا يُعَذِّبُنَا اللَّهُ بِمَا نَقُولُ حَسْبُهُمْ جَهَنَّمُ يَصْلَوْنَهَا فَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرُ Have you not considered those who were forbidden from private conversation, i.e. ridicule and conspiracy, then they return to that which they were forbidden and converse among themselves about sin and aggression and disobedience to the messenger. And when they come to you, they greet you with that word by which Allah does not greet you and say among themselves, why does Allah not punish us for what we say? So they would say, we are speaking these ill words about Rasulullah and nothing is happening to us. So this is evidence that he is not really the messenger of Allah. Allah said, sufficient for them is hell, which they will enter to burn and wretched is the destination. The Yahud was also support the hypocrites, and they were the spiritual advisors to the hypocrites. Allah says, وَإِذَا لَقُوا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا قَالُوا آمَنَّا وَإِذَا خَلَوْا إِلَى شَيَاطِينِهِمْ قَالُوا and when they meet those who believe, they say, we believe. But when they are alone with their evil ones, they say, and the evil ones here is referring to Al-Yahud, they say, indeed, we are with you, we were only mockers. And Allah says about uh, the Munafiqeen also, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ ارْتَدُّوا عَلَىٰ أَدْبَارِهِمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الْهُدَى الشَّيْطَانُ سَوَّلَ لَهُمْ وَأَمْلَى لَهُمْ ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَالُوا لِلَّذِينَ كَرِهُوا مَا نَزَّلَ اللَّهُ سَنُطِيعُكُمْ فِي بَعْضِ الْأَمْرِ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ إِسْرَارَهُمْ Indeed, those who reverted back to disbelief after guidance had become clear to them, Satan enticed them and prolonged hope for them. That is because they say to those who disliked what Allah has sent down, this is referring to Al-Yahud, that is because they said to those who disliked what Allah sent down, we will obey you in part of the matter. We will obey you in part of the matter. And Allah knows what they conceal. So Allah Azawajal is saying, that if you only obey them in part of the matter, not all of it, if you only obey them in a small thing, uh, that is sufficient to classify as a person as somebody who has left the folds of Islam, somebody who is a munafiq. So as Muslims, we need to be very careful about this issue and not to fall into the prey of being seduced by al-Yahud and al-Nasara. And Allah Azza wa says, 
الم تر الى الذين تولوا قوما غضب الله عليهم ما هم منكم ولا منهم ما هم منكم ولا منهم ويحلفون على الكذب وهم يعلمون اعد الله لهم عذابا شديدا انهم ساء ما كانوا يعملون اتخذوا ايمانهم جنه فصدوا عن سبيل الله فلهم عذاب مهين have you not considered those who make allies of a people with whom Allah has become angry and the people whom Allah has become angry as it is in surah al-fatiha is al-yahud they are neither of you nor of them and they swear to untruth while they know they are lying Allah has prepared for them a severe punishment indeed it was evil that they were doing they took their false oaths as a cover so they averted people from the way of Allah and for them is a humiliating punishment and another thing that al-yahud were doing in Medina they were trying to block the path of people becoming Muslim. So for example, with Abdullah ibn Salam, immediately, as soon as he became Muslim, they started accusing him of being a liar and accusing him of being unfaithful to his people and to his religion and all of that. We already talked about his story. And uh, they would not only do that with Abdullah ibn Salam, they would even do it with the Arabs who become Muslim. They would tell them that your religion is better than their religion and all of that. When it, should be, it would be expected that the Yahud will consider the Muslims to be closer to them than the pagan worshippers, but that wasn't the case. So, obviously, all of this would lead the Muslims and the Yahud to confrontation. You know, you can't have all of this happening without Rasulullah responding to it. So, they were on a collision course. And after the Battle of Badr, Rasulullah went to the Yahud of Banu Qaynuqa who were the closest to the Muslims in terms of location. They were living in Medina itself. Unlike Banu Quraidah and Banu Al-Nadir who were living on the outskirts of Medina. So Rasulullah goes to the Yahud of Banu Qaynuqa and he speaks to them. He said, O Jews, beware of Allah afflicting you as he did Quraysh. So Rasulullah is telling them, take heed at what happened. You've seen how Allah humiliated Quraysh and how he has given his prophet victory. Do not let the same thing happen to you. So Rasulullah here is delivering a warning to them. Because of all of their plotting and planning against him and all of the fitna that they were causing among the Muslims, Rasulullah went to warn them. He's giving them nasiha. O oh Jews, beware of Allah afflicting you as he did Quraysh and so accept Islam. You well know that I am a prophet sent with a mission. You find that to be so in your book and in Allah's pact with you. What was their response? They said, Muhammad, do you think we are your people? Don't delude yourself. Just because you did battle with those who lack knowledge of warfare, and so you could take advantage of them, if you fight against us, you'll find us to be the real men. So the Yahud are saying that you have fought against people who have no experience with war. People who don't know the tactics of war. They don't have the experience. But if you fight against us, you'll know that we are real men. Allah Azza wa Jal said, قَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ آيَةٌ فِي فِئَتَيْنِ الْتَقَتَا فِئَةٌ تُقَاتِلُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَأُخْرَى كَافِرَةٌ يَرَوْنَهُمْ مِثْلَيْهِمْ رَأْيَ الْعَيْنِ وَاللَّهُ يُؤَيِّدُ بِنَصْرِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَعِبْرَةً لِأُولِي الْأَبْصَارِ if you have vision, you'll learn a lesson from that. But uh, the Yahud were so stubborn, they refused to accept the advice of Rasulullah So one day, and we're talking about 
right after the Battle of Badr. A Muslim woman goes to the marketplace, which, as we said, the jewelry market was controlled by the Jews. So this Muslim woman went to sell or trade some jewelry that she had. So she sits next to this store. She's sitting on the floor, and she gives her jewelry to the Jewish owner at the shop. So some Jews uh, were gathering, and they asked her to uncover her face. She refused. So the, the owner of the store, he goes behind her without her knowing, and he pins the bottom of her dress to her back. Now, when she was sitting on the floor, obviously her dress would be dragging on the floor. So when he pinned it to her back, she didn't feel that. She was unaware of what he was doing. But when she stood up, what happened is that her, uh, she was exposed because of the dress being pinned to her back. When she stood up, her legs or part of her aura was exposed. So she screamed. A Muslim who was there and saw what happened attacked the Yahudi and killed him. And then the Jews ganged up against the Muslim and killed him. The news was delivered to Rasulullah immediately. He called the army and went to Banu Quraidah and laid siege to their forts. Immediately. No questions asked. The, a Muslim woman, she was violated. This is an invitation to war. Rasulullah laid siege to their force for 15 days. And these Yahud who were bragging about their skills as fighters and their training and the weakness of Quraysh were now shaking in their forts and uh, they were willing to surrender. So Abdullah ibn Ubay, who was their ally in Jahiliyyah, goes to Rasulullah and tries to appeal for his allies. Ubad ibn Samut, who was also their ally, both Abdullah ibn Ubay and Ubad ibn Samut were equally the allies of Banu Quraidah. They both went to Rasulullah but look at the difference in the position of these two men. Ubad ibn Samut was now a good Muslim. So he goes to Rasulullah and says, Messenger of Allah, my only loyalty is to Allah, He, his messenger and the believers. I renounce the alliance with those unbelievers and I will give them no support whatsoever. So he does this at his own initiative. It's not Rasulullah who invited him. He goes to Rasulullah and makes it known that, O oh Rasulullah, yes, I was their ally in the time of Jahiliyyah and this alliance is, is old and we have fought together in many occasions. But right now I'm announcing that my loyalty goes to Allah, Rasulullah and the believers. And I renounce my ties with the people of Banu Qaynuqa'a. While Ibn Ubay, Abdullah ibn Ubay, goes to Rasulullah and says, Be good to my allies. Be good to my allies. Rasulullah does not answer back. So then Abdullah ibn Ubay goes to Rasulullah another time and said, Be good to my allies. Rasulullah does not respond back. So Abdullah ibn Ubay puts his hand in the pocket of Rasulullah and pulls him and refuses to let him go and then said, be good to my allies. So Rasulullah told him, let me go. And the narrator of this hadith said, the face of Rasulullah became angry. You could see anger in the face of Rasulullah and he's telling Abdullah ibn Ubay, woe to you, let me go. And Abdullah ibn Ubay is holding tight to Rasulullah and said, I will not let you go until you are good to my allies. They are 700 fighters who protected me against all my enemies. And now you want to mow them down in one morning? I am a man who fears the turns of fortune. I'm not going to let you go until you let them free. They have helped me in numerous occasions. And now you just want to execute all of these men in one day? Rasulullah told him, they are yours. They are yours. Rasulullah let them free. So the people of Banu Qaynuqa'a were set free. They were allowed to leave. And the one who would administer 
their traveling was Ubad ibn Samit, and they traveled to Asham, Syria. Uh, their money was taken as ghanimah, as booty of war, and was distributed among the Muslims. Some ayat were revealed regarding Abdullah ibn Ubay and Ubad ibn Samit, because this showed the position of both men regarding their loyalty and their alliance to Al-Yahud. Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tattakhidu al-yahuda wal-nasara awliya ba'duhum awliya ba'du wa man yatawallahum minkum fa'innahu minhum inna allaha la yahdi al-qawm al-zalimeen O you who have believed, do not take the Jews and the Christians as allies. They are in fact allies of one another. And whoever is an ally to them among you, then indeed he is one of them. Indeed Allah guides not the wrongdoing people. So you see those in whose hearts is disease, i.e. hypocrisy, hastening into associating with them, saying, we are afraid the misfortune may strike us. You see, this is talking about Abdullah bin Ubay. So he's worried that a disaster might befall him if his alliance with the Yahud is revoked. Somehow he thinks that his protection lies with them. If I don't keep this alliance, evil will befall me. Something will happen. So he doesn't have tawakkul on Allah Azza He's afraid. يُسَارِعُونَ فِيهِمْ يَقُولُونَ نَخْشَى أَن تُصِيبَنَا دَائِرَةٌ فَعَسَى اللَّهُ أَن يَأْتِيَ بِالْفَتْحِ أَوْ أَمْرٍ مِنْ عِنْدِهِ فَيُصْبِحُوا فَيُصْبِحُوا عَلَى مَا أَسَرُّوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ نَادِمِينَ We are afraid a misfortune may strike us but perhaps Allah will bring conquest or a decision from him and they will become over what they have been concealing within their, themselves regretful. Meaning Allah will give the believers victory and they will win against these people whom you consider allies and think that they are the ones who will protect you. And then Allah says, and those who believe will say are these the ones who swore by Allah their strongest oaths that indeed they will be with you their deeds have become worthless and they have become losers O you who have believed whoever of you should revert from his religion Allah will bring forth in place of them a people he will love and who will love him who are humble toward the believers powerful against the disbelievers they strike in the cause of Allah they strive meaning fight jihad in the cause of Allah and do not fear the blame of a critic so this ayah has the attributes of a ta'if al-mansura the victorious party again uh, Allah will bring forth a people he will love and who will love him so number one Allah loves them number two they love Allah who are humble towards the believers that's number three powerful against the disbelievers number four they strive they fight jihad in the cause of Allah number five and do not fear the blame of a critic that's number six they don't care about what the media will say about them. They don't care about what so-and-so will say about them. They don't care what 
the disbelievers say about them, as long as it pleases Allah Azza that's enough. That is the favor of Allah. He bestows it upon whom He wills, and Allah is all-encompassing and knowing. Your ally is none but Allah, and therefore His Messenger, and those who have believed. Indeed, the party of Allah, they will be the predominant. See, Ubaid ibn Samit was approached by Abdullah ibn Ubay. And Abdullah ibn Ubay told him, how are you going to revoke your alliance with these people who have helped you on such and such day and so and so and he would go on. Ubaid said, تغيرت القلوب ومحى الإسلام العهود أما والله إنك لمعصم بأمر سترى غيه غدا. He said, now hearts are different. And Islam has erased all of the former alliances. And you are holding on to something, you will see that it is wrong tomorrow. You will realize that it's wrong tomorrow. So Abad is saying, give up these thoughts that we have. Because you will realize that you have taken the wrong course of action. So Allah Azza here is confirming what Ubadah said. That if your loyalty goes to Allah, His Messenger, and the believers, they are the ones who will be victorious in the end. So, in other words, Abdullah ibn Ubay was betting on the losing horse. There was a woman called Asma bint Marwan. This woman was gathering people to fight against the Muslims. And she would spread lies about the Muslims. So a man called Umayr al-Khatmi killed her. So he goes to Rasulullah and said, is that what I did wrong? Rasulullah told him, Allah wa Rasulahu ya Umayr. You have assisted Allah and his messenger, O Umayr. And then Rasulullah said, la yantatuhu fiha anzan. This thing that you did, no two rams will butt heads over. Meaning that this is an issue that there should be no dispute about. What you did was right. Abu Afq al-Yahudi, this was a Jewish man and he was also inspiring others to fight against the Muslims. So Rasulullah said, who will rid us of Abu Afq? And uh, he was also assassinated by the Muslims because of his uh, evil. But the most famous assassination of all was that of Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf. And his story is famous, it's in Bukhari, it's also narrated by Ibn Ishaq and other scholars. Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf, his father was an Arab from the tribe of Tay. He got married to a Jewish woman from Banu Nadir. So Ka'b became a Jew. So Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf, even though his father was Arab, but he was a Jew. He followed the religion of his mother. And he was a wealthy man. He was very eloquent. He was a good poet. And he was respected among the Arabs. He had a good position. Wealthy, well-connected, famous. Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf was leading a media campaign against the Muslims. He was very active in his animosity towards Islam. After the Battle of Badr, he lamented the battle in some words of poetry, in which he shows that he expresses his sorrow at what happened to the people of Quraysh, and saying that if these noble men of Quraysh were killed, then it's better to die. I mean, it's so bad. What happened was so bad to him. He said that, uh, dying is better than living. And then he started making all of these lines of poetry against Rasulullah against the Muslims all over. And he was traveling from one place to another. For example, after the Battle of Badr, he goes to Mecca and spends time with the people of Quraysh, inspiring them to fight back. And it's reported that he, he didn't leave until he got a commitment that they're going to set up an army to go and fight Rasulullah Probably they didn't need Ka'b al-Ashraf to do that. They would do that on their own initiative. But this was something that was mentioned in the book. But what is a fact is that he did go to Mecca after the Battle of Badr 
to give condolences to the people of Quraysh. I mean, that is something that is reported in various Sira sources. And Ka'b ibn Ashraf was getting, getting into no-no areas. For example, he started describing Muslim women in his poetry, talking about the beauty of so-and-so. And he would mention names. And we all know how much respect Muslims have to the honor of their women and how evil they consider uh, violating the, the sanctity uh, and the privacy of a Muslim woman. I mean, that's a great crime uh, in Islam. So Ka'b al-Ashraf was getting into that area. Rasulullah said, مَن لِي بِكَعْبِ بِالْأَشْرَفِ فَإِنَّهُ قَدْ آذَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Who will rid us from Ka'b ibn Ashraf because he has harmed Allah and his messenger. It was so bad that Rasulullah wanted this man to be assassinated. Ibn Ishaq said, He then returned to Medina where he composed verses that were suggestive about the Muslim woman and criticized the Prophet of Allah and his followers. Uh, Musa ibn Uqba said he harmed the messenger of Allah by ridiculing him in verses. So his war was a war of words. And Hassan ibn Thabit, the poet of Rasulullah was fighting back. Now, you might wonder what's the big deal about poetry. Well, poetry was the media of the day. Poetry for the Arabs was how the news was conveyed how history was written. It was done through poetry. I mean, they wouldn't write books about uh, history. Their history was narrated through poetry. And this poetry would be handed down from one generation to another. It was an oral tradition. The Arabs were not literate. So their history, their pride, the criticizing of a tribe was all done through poetry. And one line of poetry could honor a man or a tribe, and one line of poetry could dishonor a man or a tribe. For example, there's this tribe called Numair. One line of poetry wrecked it and destroyed its reputation for good. I mean, this one line of poetry was it. It destroyed, it tarnished the reputation of this tribe of Numair. Now, the poetry could mention facts or fiction, but doesn't really make a difference if the people don't know whether the information mentioned in the poetry was true or not. And that's the case with media today. I mean, people go by what the media says, uh, regardless of whether it is true or false, it does leave an effect on the people. So this was what Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf was doing. It was a media war against Rasulullah And... Rasulullah said, Who will rid us of Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf? Muhammad ibn Maslam, one of Al-Ansar, volunteers. He said, I will, O Messenger of Allah. So Rasulullah assigns to him this mission. Muhammad ibn Maslam, in the narration of Al-Bukhari, and Abu Na'ila in the narration of Ibn Ishaq, anyway, goes to Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf, visits him alone. And he says, this man's arrival among us was a disaster. He's talking about Muhammad ﷺ. He said, this man's arrival among us was a disaster. The Arabs became hostile to us and united against us. They have cut off our roots so that our young are deprived and scared. We and our families are suffering greatly. This is how Muhammad ibn Maslama was trying to win over the trust of Ka'b ibn Ashraf. He said, Muhammad came to us and it was a disaster. What have we done? All of the Arabs are now united against us. We are in a state of fear. Our children are in a state of fear. Ka'b ibn Ashraf said, I am al-Ashraf's son. Didn't I tell you that things would turn out this way? So Abu Na'ila said, what I wanted was for you to sell us some food for which we would give you security, a pledge, because we're in need. So Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf said, uh, you pledge your woman as a security, a pledge that you would pay me back. They said, no way, we can't hand over our women to you and you're such a handsome man and all of that stuff. So 
he said, all right, what else will you pledge? Pledge your sons. He said, no, we cannot pledge and keep our kids with you. And after that will be a stigma on them for the rest of their life that they were left as hostages for some small amount of food. So Ka'b al-Mashraf said, then what do you want to pledge? What security will you give me to ensure that you will pay me back? They said, we'll bring our weapons. And weapons are expensive. So that was a good deal. And Muhammad ibn Maslama and Abu Naila said that they're going to pledge their weapons because they didn't want Ka'b al-Ashraf to be suspicious when they bring their weapons. This was all part of the plot. So they go back and they arrange a team of five men. And they visit Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf at night, at the appointed time, to deliver their weapons and receive the food. So Ka'b heard the calling of Abu Na'ila. And Abu Na'ila was the brother of Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf from Rada'a, from nursing. See, in Islam, when, when a woman nurses two children, uh, they're considered as brothers in Rada'a, brothers because of breastfeeding. So this was the relationship of Abu Na'ila to Ka'b. So he calls Ka'b at night. Apparently Ka'b just got married. So he stood up to uh, respond to the call. So his wife told him, where are you going at this time of late hour at night? He said, this is my brother Abu Na'ila calling me. She said, I can hear blood dripping from his voice. He said, "Uh, this is my brother Abu Na'ila. And if a man is called to a stabbing, uh, he should respond. Meaning even if uh, there is some evil intention, a man should respond to that. But Kaab wasn't suspicious. Kaab trusted Abu Na'ila and he, because of the blood re- relationship that they had and also because he thought that they are allied with him against Muhammad sallallahu So he goes down and uh, they talk to him for some time. And then they said, Ka'b, how about we go and take a walk in Sha'b al-Ajuz? He said, all right, fine. So they wanted to take him away from his fortress because he was living in a fort. And he was in a state of war with the Muslims, so he had guards and protection. So they wanted to take him away. So they started walking away from his fort, and it's late at night. Abu Na'ila, or Muhammad ibn Maslama, depending on the narration, anyway, puts his hand in the hair of Ka'b. Why did he do that? He asked Ka'b, he said, what is this beautiful smell that is coming from you? He said, well, I was with this woman who was the most beautiful and all of that, and I had this uh, scent on. So Muhammad said, would you allow me to smell it? He said, go ahead. So he grabbed his hair to smell this perfume. And he has already agreed with uh, his men that he would give them a signal to when to attack. So after they walked for a while, he said, can I smell it again? And Ka'b said, go ahead. So this time he grabbed his head and said, attack him. And they started stabbing him with their swords, but apparently he had armor on. So they were not able to kill him. And he was screaming very loud. And now suddenly all of the lights were going on, going up in the fortresses. But then Muhammad ibn Maslama said, I had a knife with me and I stabbed him in his lower abdomen and I cut his abdomen open until he fell down. And when we realized that the man would die, then we left. However, one of them was stabbed by mistake, by one of their swords. And while they were rushing away, because as we said, uh, he screamed and now all of the forts were, it was like a, they were all going to respond to the call of Kaab. So they had to run. But this man who was injured was losing a lot of blood and he was becoming weaker. So they had to carry him. And then Rasulullah met them at the outskirts of Medina and he immediately placed his hand on the injury and it was healed. Now, a few comments on this event. First talk about lessons from Banu Qainuqa'a and then comment on the assassination of Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf. Number one, the messenger of Allah waged war against Banu Qainuqa'a for the sake of one Muslim woman to defend her. This tells you how important it is to protect 
the rights of Muslim women. And now when we hear the calls of Muslim women from all over the Muslim world and nobody responds back, that shows that there are no men left. Because a Muslim man would jump to the defense of his sister. This is what Rasulullah did. And this was the sunnah that was followed by the khulafa after him. Like Al-Mu'tasam, the Khalifa of Banu Abbas. When one woman said, Wa He responded by sending an army to fight with the superpower of his time, the Roman Empire. And part of the reason why Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf was assassinated was because he was speaking about Muslim women. Lessons from the assassination of Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf the Sahaba took their words seriously. When Muhammad ibn Maslama volunteered to kill Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf for three days after that he lost appetite and was barely eating what was keeping him alive. Uh, that news was delivered to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So Rasulullah calls him and said, "Muhammad ibn Maslama, what happened?" Muhammad said, "O Messenger of Allah, I have given my word, and I am worried that I wouldn't be able to fulfill it." Muhammad ibn Maslama, since he pledged to fulfill this mission, he was worried that probably he could fail. He was worried whether he would succeed or not. He was worried whether his plan is good enough or not. And he couldn't eat for three days, not because he was afraid of dying, but because he wanted to make sure that he fulfills his pledge to Rasulullah This shows you how seriously the Sahaba took their word. If they gave their word, they had to fulfill it. Now we throw our words right and left, and we don't worry whether we... It's not that we wouldn't worry about them, we even forget about them. You know, making promises is taken so lightly now, we throw promises right and left without caring whether we would fulfill them or not. Muhammad ibn Maslam said, I'll do it. And he took that very seriously. And he couldn't eat or drink or sleep. Rasulullah told him, Innama alayka al-jahd. You do your best. That is what Allah Azza wa will hold you accountable for, whether you did your best or not. And then if the mission succeeds or not, as long as you've done your best, Allah Azza wa will accept that from you. You are not responsible for the outcome of the mission. You are responsible to do your best. And this is a lesson for us. We should do our best. We should try to achieve perfection in anything that we do. This is very important for Muslims today because as I said, we take our words lightly. And it's a sign of a munafiq to make a promise that you don't fulfill. Muhammad ibn Maslama after that said, then allow me to speak about you. Rasulullah said, go ahead. Muhammad ibn Maslama felt that in order for his mission to succeed, he would have to speak against Rasulullah And that was sanctioned by Rasulullah. So this tells us that if Muhammad ibn Maslama was allowed to say things that are kufr, in order for his mission to succeed, then a Muslim is allowed to do things that are less than kufr. For example, if a Muslim spy is among the enemy's army, how would he pray? So, such a person, as the scholar said, if he cannot pray standing, then he can pray sitting. If he cannot pray sitting, then he can pray with his moving his finger. If he cannot even do that, then he could pray with moving his eyes if he's afraid that his mission might be compromised. So Muhammad ibn Maslama spoke words that are kufr. He went to Ka'b ibn Ashraf and said, this man was a disaster on us. But that was allowed. So this tells you that there are some special rulings for military operations. Uh, if the mission depends on a person hiding their identity, Islamic identity, then that is allowed. The next lesson Ka'b was a Jew, but ethnically he was an Arab. So that shows that our negative attitude toward the Jews is not based on racism. It's not because of their ethnicity. So we say the truth, we are not anti-Semitic. 
Our problem is not with the ethnicity. Our problem is with the mindset. You know, this has to be clear that Muslims don't have anything against the Jews because of their genetic makeup. That's not the case. Or because they belong to a certain culture or a certain race. That's not the issue. And it's unlike, you know, for example, with Hitler or with the Nazis, their problem was racism. They considered that their race was superior to the race of al-Yahud. And when some Muslims are accused of being racist or similar to the Nazis, that's furthest from the truth. The issue with the Muslims is not a problem with the ethnicity of al-Yahud, it is with the mindset that leads such a people to become blasphemous against Allah Azzawajal, to speak against Rasulullah to reject his message, to plot against Muslims, to cause disunity. It is against the evil actions themselves. Finally, not all battles are played out on the battlefield. Sometimes clandestine special operations are needed to inflict harm on the enemies of Allah. And this was the case with Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf. Sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This concludes CD 8.